0: is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. If you've got a copy of God's Word, you're going to want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. The passage is also printed for you in the worship liturgy that's found on our website. And this morning, we're going to be picking back up in our series on the life of David looking at a figure in the Bible who teaches us what it looks like to follow God in the midst of this fallen world. And before we read our passage today, it's important to know that David, 15 years before the passage that we're about to read, made a commitment to his best friend, Jonathan. And you can read about that commitment or that promise that David made to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, specifically in verse... 15, where David promises Jonathan not to cut off his steadfast love from the lineage of Jonathan when David assumes the throne. And it's there that David promises to treat Jonathan's family with kindness, even when the culturally appropriate thing would have been to eliminate Jonathan's house. It was a solemn promise that David made to Jonathan in our passage, and we're going to see in our passage this morning that he sticks with it. And as we look at David's commitment this morning our hope is to see how deeply God is committed to us. So with that in mind you follow along as I read from 2 Samuel chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. David said, "Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake?" Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, "Are you Ziba?" And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Mechur, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makur, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should regard, show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Mekah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us. And He wants us to know Him. A few years ago, my grandparents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And I remember it was a big deal. Their kids, my mom and my aunts and uncles, they threw them a big party. And friends and family gathered to celebrate this really amazing milestone in their life. 50 years is a big deal. What 50 years of marriage represents is really beautiful if you stop and think about it. People view 50 years of marriage with admiration because it's really unusual to see in many ways in our day and age. And you implicitly know what 50 years of marriage requires. It's not always easy. Uh, It takes a deep commitment from each partner to get to 50 years. It requires staying true to a promise that you made 50 years ago that transcends feelings and emotions and circumstances. Well, the Hebrew language, which was the original language of the Old Testament, has a word for this type of commitment that's actually used in our passage this morning three times. And it's used to describe the kindness that David wants to show Mephibosheth. It's the word hesed. And you could make the case that there is not a more important word in all of the Old Testament. It's a word that's used over and over and over again across the pages of the Old Testament to describe God's love for His people. And it's a love that's characterized by determination, by compassion, by forgiveness. It's the type of love that doesn't change with shifting circumstances or emotional states or even personal convenience. It's tenacious, loyal, dependable love that can't be scared off. This kind of love is something that you and I don't often experience in our lives. And when we do, when we see it from a distance even, it leaves a mark. It makes a difference. And if it gets down into our bones, this type of love, if it it gets into our heart, it actually has the potential to change us from the inside out. So this morning, we see this kind of faithful love on display. This morning, we see David at his best in some ways, imitating God in a profound way as he shows steadfast kindness or has said to a person who he should have considered an enemy. Let's take a look at this amazing kindness under three headings this morning. First, we're going to look at who the recipient of this kindness was, and then we're going to look at the kindness given. And then thirdly, we'll spend a few minutes looking at a comforting component to this kindness. So first, who was the recipient of this kindness? Well, our passage begins in verse 1 with David taking the initiative and asking if there's anyone left of the house of Saul so that David might make good on the promise that he made to Jonathan 15 years earlier. And a servant of Saul's house is found who's still alive named Ziba, and they bring him to David. And Ziba reveals that there is still one living descendant of the house of Saul. It's Jonathan's very own son, whose name is Mephibosheth. And we can draw some conclusions about who this son of Jonathan is by looking at the passage. The first thing we see from verse 3 is that Mephibosheth is a cripple. And you can read the story of how this happened back in 2 Kings chapter 4 where Mephibosheth was dropped by his nurse while trying to escape after Saul and Jonathan had been defeated. And so Mephibosheth is dropped at five years of age, and from then on he grows up a cripple, unable to walk well. And as you might be able to conclude, being a cripple, especially back in the ancient Middle East, wasn't a pleasant lot in life. There were no real social programs to care for the handicap in that day and age. Cripples were simply seen as burdens. They were helpless to function in and of themselves in a society where consumers were valued, where, where uh, producers were valued, and Mephibosheth would have seen been seen as just a, a simple consumer. He would have been seen as a burden in many ways. Another thing that stands out is this man's name, Mephibosheth. It's a tongue twister encourage you kids on the couch to try to say that 10 times fast after our service this morning. But Mephibosheth literally means seething dishonor or immense shame. It was most likely a nickname given after his accident. And it's a name that encapsulates who Mephibosheth is. He was the grandson of the former king, once destined for greatness, destined to sit on the throne himself and enjoy all that comes along with that, but now living in obscurity. All that ripped away from him. He simply doesn't matter anymore in the world's eyes, and he's full of dishonor and shame. And you also need to know that when he's summoned by David, he would have been fearful and scared for his life. He would have been scared because David had no business loving someone like Mephibosheth in that day and age. Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson And in that culture, when a new house comes to power, it's normal operating procedure to eliminate any descendants from the previous regime to ensure there's no rebellion or threat to the new kingdom. Up till now, Mephibosheth had been in hiding and for good reason. And so that's Mephibosheth. And think about this. It's a shame-filled cripple enemy of the king that David brings and shows kindness to And even more than that, David seeks to shower him with kindness. It might make sense if David needed something from this man or if he was royalty from another country for David to act this way towards him. But Mephibosheth is a nobody. David has nothing to gain from this and everything to lose. What's the point? Some of you know that Rachel and I used to live in St. Louis. And while in St. Louis, we became big Cardinal baseball fans feel like we've had some great sports teams in the cities in which we've lived, the Spurs being one of them now. And during our time in St. Louis, Albert Pujols was there, and he was the man. And back when he played for the Cardinals, the team had a day at Bush Stadium dedicated to children with Down syndrome. It was called Buddy Day. And each Cardinal player um, would have a Down syndrome child assigned to them for the day to hang out with them and be a part of the festivities through the game. And before the first inning, each kid would actually go out with their player onto the field and stand with them during warm-ups. And as Albert's kid, whose name was Danny, was about to run back to the dugout, he turned and yelled, Hit one for me, Mr. Pujols. And then some of the other kids started yelling, Hit one for me, hit one for me. Well, that day, Pujols hit three bombs, which was not unusual for him at that time. And after the game, Pujols, he walks out of the locker room, and there's hundreds of people hoping to see him, hoping to get his autograph. They see Pujols, and they start cheering, and Pujols' head is on a swivel at that point, looking for one person. And then amidst the crowd, he sees the boy, and he yells, Danny, Danny. And he hands him the game ball and says, I hit one for you. Now, think about it. There was something about Pujols that was revealed as he stood there next to Danny. Everyone knows that Pujols had power. He had skills. He was hitting home runs like a machine. But it took interacting with Danny for people to see Pujols' gracious nature. And the same is true in this situation. Everyone knew David was powerful. Everyone knew that he was a man who had great courage. He was a warrior king But when we see Mephibosheth, a man who has nothing to offer David, standing next to David, we see the extravagant kindness of this king, and it's incredible. And in many ways, David here is giving us a window into the kind heart of God himself. It's possible and definitely fitting that the Apostle Paul had this story This story of a helpless cripple, a shameful sinner, an enemy of the king in mind when he wrote the words that we read in Romans 5 where he says, while we were yet helpless, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, God loved us. When we didn't deserve mercy or grace, Christ died for us. So we see the recipient of David's kindness, and that gives us a window into the heart of the king Now, let's spend a few minutes looking at the kindness that was given. Remember that David was actively trying to keep a promise that he had made to his friend Jonathan 15 years ago. And if you take a look at that promise made between David and Jonathan back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, there's not a lot of details drawn out except for the fact that they pledged not to cut off each other's descendants. And David would have fulfilled this promise simply by allowing Mephibosheth to live out the rest of his days in this obscure town of Lodabar. David would have been keeping his promise by simply ignoring Mephibosheth. If David had simply allowed Jonathan's son to live in that day and age, people would have thought that was incredibly gracious and kind. But what does David do? He does more than just spare the life of this shameful cripple. He doesn't just simply let him live, does he? No, he blesses him. He unloads blessings upon him in absurd proportions. We see David give back all of Saul's land and we see that Mephibosheth is immediately wealthy and David assigns Ziba and his servants to work the land and to provide constant income for Mephibosheth. And then we're told three times that Mephibosheth sits every day in the place of honor at the king's table. I mean, David's kindness is extravagant. David is completely changing Mephibosheth's life here. He he takes him from poverty to riches, from enemy to friend, and he takes a guy that doesn't matter in the world's eyes and he puts him in the highest place of honor. It's extravagant kindness. But none of that compares to what is said in verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. There's the ultimate kindness. I mean, David bestows a new status on Mephibosheth. If you walked into the king's palace during dinner, there would be no visible difference in status between Mephibosheth and the king's other sons. This is the ultimate act of kindness. David says, Mephibosheth, no longer will your identity be wrapped up in the shameful family you come from or the helpless cripple that you are. Your identity, your status is now a son of the king loved by me. That's who you are. And this kindness, the steadfast love that David showers on Mephibosheth was so big, so amazing, so extravagant that it completely changed his status. It gave him a new identity altogether. Mephibosheth goes from enemy to friend. He goes from poverty to riches. He goes from orphan to son of the king. And it should make us think about how God relates to us. You see, the Bible tells us that we show up before God as enemies and should be considered such. But in God's extravagant kindness through the work of Jesus, enemies are made friends. The poor are given riches. The orphans are made sons and daughters. God gives us a new status, a new identity. And that's the kindness that we receive from the hand of our kind and loving King. And if It's true of us, whether we feel it or not. Now, as we close, I want to point out one last thing that stands out from this passage. We see that the kindness David shows isn't temporary. It's pretty amazing that this is continual kindness. I love this. The more I thought about it this week, the little word at the end of verse 7 and verse 13 stood out. David looks at Mephibosheth and says, you will eat at my table. You're going to eat at the place of honor, the place of feasting, not just for one day, not just for a season of time, not just until you make a mistake and make me angry. No, you are going to feast with me at my table. What does it say? Always. Always. And I want you to think about this. Every single day for the rest of his life, David made a way for Mephibosheth to look around and to experience the gracious kindness of David. Mephibosheth would never be able to talk about David's love for him simply as a past event. It's not in the past tense. Every day, it was a present reality. Every day, Mephibosheth experiences another meal he doesn't deserve, another day of honor, another day of extravagant kindness. And this feasting at the table of the king is going to extend into eternity for those who've placed their faith in Jesus, for those who are loved by him, the great king. I'll close with a story that you maybe heard me tell before if you've been around Trinity Grace for a while, but it's one that frames what we've been talking about this morning really well. Ran across an article a while back where Henry nown was interviewed by a journalist and Some of you know that Henry Nouwen was a theologian and a pastor. He taught uh, divinity at Harvard and Yale. Uh, Yet he gave all that up, this amazing life of prestige and influence, to move into a community for disabled adults. Spent the last 10 years of his ministry there in Canada at at this home for disabled adults. And he lived in this community full time. And here's how the reporter spoke of his time with Nouwen in the article that he wrote. He said, I once visited Nouwen, sharing lunch with him in a small room had a single bed, one bookshelf, and a few pieces of shaker-style furniture. The walls were unadorned except for a print of Van Gogh and a few religious symbols. A daybreak staff person served us a bowl of Caesar salad and a loaf of bread. No fax machine, no computer, no day timer posted on the wall. In this room, at least, Nowen had found serenity. The church industry seemed very far away. After lunch, we celebrated a special communion for Adam, the young man Nowen looked after, With solemnity but also a twinkle in his eye, Nouwen led the liturgy in honor of Adam's 26th birthday. Unable to talk, walk, or dress himself, profoundly retarded, Adam gave no sign of comprehension. He seemed to recognize at least that his family had come. He drooled throughout the ceremony and grunted loudly a few times. Later, Nouwen told me it took him nearly two hours to prepare Adam each day, bathing and shaving him, brushing his teeth, combing his hair, Guiding his hand as he tried to eat breakfast, these simple, repetitive acts had become for him almost like an hour of meditation. I must admit I had a fleeting doubt as to whether this was the best use of the busy priest's time. Could not someone else take over the manual chores? And when I cautiously broached the subject with and himself, he informed me that I had completely misinterpreted him. I'm not giving up anything, he insisted. It's I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from our friendship. And all day now and kept circling back to my question, bringing up various ways he had benefited from his relationship with Adam. It had been difficult for him at first, he said. Physical touch, affection, and the messiness of caring for an uncoordinated person didn't come easily. But he had learned to love Adam, to truly love him. And in the process, he'd learned what it must be like for God to love us. Spiritually uncoordinated, uncoordinated, retarded, able to respond with what must seem to God like inarticulate grunts and groans. That's who we are. We are God's Mephibosheths. And we get a picture of God's faithful, steadfast love through David this morning. We're the ones who have received tenacious, loyal, dependable love and kindness from David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who calls us by name, He's the one who loved us when we were helpless enemies. He's the one who makes us sons and daughters of the king. He's the one who invites us to sit at his table always. And that's good news for us this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you love us, thankful for the way that you invite us to sit at your table for the way that you honor us, for the way that you give us a new status and a new identity as sons and daughters of the King. And we pray that over the coming days and weeks that we would remember who we are, that we would remember that we are yours, that we are dearly loved, and that we are with you and you are with us. We pray that that would be the foundation of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.